Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the Egyptian tomb full of mutant skeletons of Mangum Reeds. We are two muggles who are supporting a third slightly comatose muggle as we struggle to get in through the window. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Seriously pondering who I am in these two scenarios you just painted. <laughs> The mystery mystery I provide at the beginning of these episodes. <laughs> I'm the Errol Fun. <laughs> Doing well, Sarah. Hope you are too. I am. Um, we are starting a new book, guys. Yay! That's super Yay. exciting. Fake <laughs> <laughs> it for a minute, BJ. Come on. <laughs> so what I did want to do, um, and this is a segment from one of our other podcasts, is uh one star reviews for prisoner of azkaban which i thought like it's just the funniest thing um i i love this uh paragraph that this one person says on uh, goodreads which is um he complains in general about it like oh it's supposed to be more mature and not like a kid's book so i read it and it's not it's still a kid's book it's like all right fair enough (laughs) um but this paragraph is the best which is harry potter as a character is boring and whiny harry doesn't do things things happen to him his friends are way more interesting than he than him and t-h-e-n which is very disappointing and they're not really that great either I like the, was this, were each of those short sentences that were, um, actually ended with periods? Yes, they were. So this is the stylistic (laughs) opposite of... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Mm. Um, Excellent. But but yeah, the number of people that, like, stopped at book three is just really funny to me. Really? (laughs) Interesting. Um, Yeah. Um, And... It's just like, and a bunch of the people are like, this is the best of the first three books. One star. It's like, okay, guys. Um, so in a, in a number one to me kind of way of using the star system? or I I don't know what these people are doing. This, um, this feels like, like we've talked about in our other podcast, um, some of these seem like, why are you... The difference between like a one star and a two star... Right? Why yeah. are you bothering to leave this review? Mm-hmm. Like, what what are we achieving here? Yeah, um, this is another great one, which is this oh, is the please. first Harry first book of the Harry Potter series I've read. I watched the first two movies though, and started because I was told that this one was the best. <laughs> the story was good, and I didn't get very bored. But that was about it. One star. That's a one-star review? It's was there like, any I, elaboration on what else they might have wanted? Um, it, apparently, it was a mindless read, and its best quality is that it manages to avoid the pitfalls of simply telling a story, for example, dwelling on a point simply to build suspense or adding complexity for its own sake, but doesn't add anything new to the genre. In the end, it's still a kid's book. Okay, I again, I have no idea <laughs> or understanding... <laughs> But the other side of it is, the next paragraph is, as soon as I finished reading this book, I moved on to the picture of Dorian Gray, and it was so much better. Well, hold on. 
This okay. is your range? This is what you're jumping between? I don't know. I want to see that guy's bookshelf. I uh, really do. Okay. I, do you get the sense, BJ, that this is a male reviewer? Uh, oh, yes. Very yeah. definitely a male okay. reviewer. So uh, I think I am going to posit, Spencer, that it looks a lot like my bookshelf with more David Foster Wallace. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Con- so the other thing that contrast- I thought was really funny is there are 2.6 million ratings. Oh, boy. <laughs> on Goodreads. What was the average? Uh, 4.56. Solid. Whew, that's really Very good. Very solid. Yeah. That I mean, is a higher average rating than anything else I have looked at that we have read. Yeah. On I mean, Goodreads. And, and honestly, this is kind of like all of the movie web uh, websites that, that put together right. ratings and mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe. And it's just right. like, those movies aren't that good. They're fun. I'm not saying like... They shouldn't be well rated, but they should not be like top ten of all time in mm-hmm. in anybody's book. Yeah. So. Well, well, for this book in particular, Sarah, what, what do we have planned for today? Well, we now that we have done one star <laughs> reviews, and I have managed to not blow off the top of my head in this process, <laughs> which I'm very proud of myself. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a rapid-fire recap of this, our first chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, we have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, which I think uh, includes some, some longer sentences than some of these reviews. Um, and then we have Newbie's Notes from our resident Newbie, although he's getting less Newbie by the second. It's relative. Um, and then we award house points, and we have questions. We have a plan. Sounds good. Excellent. So this is chapter one, The Owl Post. Spencer, are you ready with the timer? Provided you've got an estimate for how long you think it'll take. I think it's going to be two minutes. Um, what are you spending seem- the other minute on? <laughs> well, on the long, uh, on the beginning short chapters, I include more details about things. <laughs> instead, this seems of, like a- instead of the two-word sentences, that happened. <laughs> this seems like a classic two-minute chapter in terms of how we originally built this. So, yeah, I think yes. it's a reasonable estimate. Let's see how you do. Okay. So Harry is trying uh, to do his homework. Uh, Given that now the Dursleys know that he's not supposed to do magic outside of school, particularly an essay about witch burnings and why they are useless, uh, he's had to steal all his spell books, wand, etc. back from the cupboard under the stairs. This allows for much background information on Harry and the Dursleys and their particular relationship. We also learn that early on uh, during the break, Ron tried to telephone Harry. In fact, he did telephone, but didn't quite understand the process and shouted at Vernon, which infuriated him. Presumably Hermione was then warned off from also calling because she has not called. But we are back to Harry in his room. It happens to be his 13th birthday. Birthdays are also a good time for reminiscing, so we get more information about Harry and Voldemort and their particular relationship. And then Harry catches sight of a lopsided creature limping through the air. Poor Errol, the Weasley family owl, on yet another death-defying journey, supported by Hedwig and some other owl. Carrying letters and packages, including Harry's first ever birthday card and a daily profit clipping. It turns out that the Weasley family has finally had some good luck and won the newspaper's grand prize. They used the money to take the entire family to Egypt to visit Bill, and there's a nice write-up and a picture in the paper. This also means that Ron finally gets a new wand and Percy is head boy. 
Ron's uh, present to Harry is a pocket sneakoscope, which lets you know when there's someone untrustworthy around. Hermione's letter reveals that she is jealous of Ron in Egypt, but that she's also learning some interesting uh, wizard wizarding history in France. Her present to Harry is not a book, but a broomstick servicing kit, which he is very pleased with. There's also a present from Hagrid, which is a book, The Monster Book of Monsters. This promptly tries to attack him and then scurries off under the bed, where Harry nearly loses a finger trying to retrieve it. Um, apparently, this might be useful. Finally, Harry gets his letter from Hogwarts with his book list and a permission slip for trips to Hogmeade, a, Hogsmeade, a problem to be put off for another day. This is an excellent birthday. And with five seconds extra for Ravenclaw. Perfect. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um, a delightful first chapter. Very delightful. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's, let's hear the rebuttal from BJ. Okay. Not so much of a rebuttal, but like it's the same first chapter that every book has had so far, and I presume every book will have. Yes. And uh, the sort of. other thing that is very uh, reminiscent of uh, certain other series is essentially the beginning chapter is kind of like the same in every single book. It just plays around a little bit and introduces us to the character and sort of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say so. that for the Babysitter's Club, it was always the second chapter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same idea, though. Um, yeah. yeah, so for the Wheel of Time, there is a, uh, the first paragraph is always the same, and it talks about, like, a wind coming in through whatever, and y- right. you sort of know that you're reading that book in the first paragraph because it's mm. basically always the same. For, uh, for King Killer, the, uh, the, the two books we've had so far open and end the exact same way mm-hmm. in terms of guy alone, the various kinds of quiet. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a common motif. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, so I was kind of amused uh, about a couple of things. We'll just briefly mention the, the fact that Hermione gave uh, Harry a, a broom polishing kit um, and leave that as it will. Um, but there are some interesting sentence paragraphs um, that, that came up in this uh, chapter. Um, so this paragraph has two sentences, um, and it started with Harry put his uh, quill between his teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and so Harry put his quill between his teeth and reached underneath his pillow for his ink bottle and a roll of parchment. Period. Sentence two. Slowly and very carefully, he unscrewed the ink bottle, comma, dipped his quill into it, comma, and began to write, comma, pausing every now and then to listen for more commas, because (laughs) if any of the Dursleys heard the scratching of his quill on their way to the bathroom, comma, he'd probably find himself locked in the cupboard under the stairs for the rest of the summer, period. Yes. Jacob Rowling's just so excited to be writing again. (laughs) (laughs) Sentence won't stop. (laughs) Um, breathless with anticipation yeah and so if you're all there with me the last sentence of the next paragraph sarah i want to turn this over to you because there's another flurry of commas is this the sentence that starts the most they could do yep okay uh the most they could do and that refers to the dursleys the most they could do comma however comma was to lock away harry's spell books comma wand comma cauldron comma and broomstick at the start of the summer break comma and forbid him to talk to the neighbors period that is a compound list yeah indeed it is (laughs) you know as a so the second one at least as a sentence there's nothing really painfully wrong with it it's just there, there would be a squiggle in pretty much every Microsoft uh, application <laughs> saying, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> I like that. 
those come up on J.K. Rowling's document, and she, without hesitation, says yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate the consistent use of the Oxford comma. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it frustrates me when that's not always a thing. It, um, yes, yes. Drives me absolutely so batty. The last thing that I wanted to just point out Mm-hmm. Um, before I turned it on to our resident newbie, is um, Wendell and the Weird. Yes. Indeed, Wendell and the Weird enjoyed being burned so much that she allowed herself to be caught no less than 47 times in various disguises. Because apparently when you froze the flame, it, instead of being painful, gave you an, enjoying, um, an enjoyable, gentle, tickling sensation. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'll turn it over to our resident newbie without talking about it anymore. <laughs> Just letting that one hang. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, well, going through newbie's notes, uh, first thing I loved about this chapter was, even before the chapter, was the cover of the book. Cover of the book is just so delightfully gothic. There's even freaking bats flying away from a moonscape. It looks like it looks like whatever castle this is, which I'm guessing is Azkaban, is sitting on the head of a dragon with, like, you can see its eyes sitting out there. So it's just... It's great. It's really Ooh, you have a good. different cover than I do. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's an online cover that has like Harry on a Griffin or something. Oh, I do not have that one. No. Yes. Uh, I also, I, I also adore the contrast between that dark, ominous. This is going to be a mature book, and then the delightful humor of the opening cover of the, of the opening <laughs> image of this chapter of two owls carrying a knocked out owl, which is just I love the adorable cartoony style of these and. <laughs> It's I just, also think it's really funny that it looks like the present is tied to Errol's feet. Like yeah. they I think that's the only that way they were going to get that to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, qu- possibly question the logic of how two owls are going to hold another owl with wings and still fly, but you know, magic owls, and it's adorable. <laughs> uh, I also just BJ, you referenced how the first chapters of these books are always the same. I adore the first chapters of these books. <laughs> They're just so charming. This would also add the extra element of being heartwarming, too. and Not in being terms of murderous. Not being murderous and not focusing as much on how the Dursleys are just the worst people in the known universe. <laughs> and also not leaving us with the idea that his friends have abandoned him the way the last book did. It opened with that possibility, but then quickly dashed it by the end as Harry had honestly probably his best, just simplest heartwarming chapter he's had yet in this series. And that was really fun to see. In terms of the writing style, I agree that she seems to be getting more fond of long sentences, but there's a confidence and a charm that's really coming into her her writing that seems like it's only getting better. Like, she's really finding a groove for writing these stories, and it's fun to see. Uh, For the Burning Man wizard that you referenced, or witch, I suppose, that you referenced, that is just really funny. Uh, I agree that the tickling thing, just let that one hang out there, but... It is a really funny idea that the muggle world is so damn ineffective in finding wizards that they've actually made a game out of going through the practices of execution with respect to it. This also, chapter also answers the question about whether they get holiday work, because I don't think that was previously clear in the other books. Whereas this time, it is actually a significant plot point that he's unable to do the holiday work, lots of it, that he's been assigned. So, yeah, Hogwarts is one of those schools, which gives you summer material to, <laughs> to do. Uh, Ron, I, had, I had summer work to do in public school. I had summer work doing public school, too, but it was inconsistent. It was varying based on teacher. Oh, yeah, sure. I had absolutely no work to do in summer school or in, in public school. <laughs> um, actually, you know, nerd that I am, some of my favorite, some of my favorite books I ever read once I was assigned to read over the summer. But we can go into that on our other show. 
Uh, Ron is terrifiably dumb and ignorant sometimes. <laughs> this He knows about the Dursleys. The last thing we heard in the last book was, you know, Harry telling Ron how horrible they are. And yet Ron just calls up on the phone, screaming in the receiver that, Hey, I'm from Hogwarts, the wizarding place. I'm a wizard friend of Harry's. Like, that's going to go well. It still also is just hilarious. Uh, I was getting a little bit worried that there weren't going to be letters. Um, but we get a lot of letters here, and they're a lot of fun. We'll get into those gifts here in a minute. But before we get there, it is simultaneously incredibly adorable to have the image of two owls carrying another owl. And also, oh god, Errol, please retire this owl. He's done enough. I know your family is poor. I know you find it hard to get new implements, but this is a living creature that clearly needs to be put out to pasture. We should turn him into a mailbox. You know, they apparently probably have that ability. <laughs> or a rocket or something that just flies through the sky. Transfiguration is a thing <laughs> in this world. Um, but again, he's just is suffering through the point that his other owls are needing to support him through the efforts. And I also fully believe that they just found him somewhere and carried him along the rest of the way. I don't think he was like... I don't think other owls were called to deliver him along with the packages. I like an idea that, like, real-world bats saw Errol limping along through the sky and went out to find some of his buddies. It's like, dude, you're, 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 fr you're friend here. <laughs> might be a, might be old, might be drunk. Either way, need to help him. Uh, I'm worried about the Weasleys and their sense of money management. Uh, they <laughs> finally get some money in this book. Apparently, like it's like 700 galleons they get, right? It's mm -hmm. a significant sum. We know they are scraping by, that they cannot afford to, you know, get basic goods for their kids to go to school. They're really barely hanging on. And yet they blow almost all of this money to the point that Ron's debating whether they have enough to get him a new wand, which he essentially needs to be able to be a student, on a single vacation. This well, leaves to visit me... their son, who they haven't seen in a while. Yes, but they can go through a flume and see him. Why? Where is this money going? seems like they're just doing this as a very formal holiday in a very British style of where it is a vacation. It is vacation time. We need to go overseas. Well, to Which, be fair, there are also like eight of them that need to travel. Uh, yeah, true. Eight traveling to the ninth. Uh, but again, it Assuming just seems that Charlie like... Assuming Charlie went. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like they have a picture of all nine of them here at one point. So at least we're able to get together for a group shot. Yep, that is true. Okay. Um, but again, I'm worried about what they're doing with their money. I'm, I'm starting to wonder now whether just having so many kids is the key root of all of their financial issues. Uh, I really, it's something I'd forgotten previously, but I really enjoy the fact that when e whenever there's a letter in these chapters, there is a signature at the end of the letter. And each of the signatures is unique and different to the point that I want to ask my dad, who actually did briefly study that damn pseudoscience called handwriting analysis, <laughs> if he could interpret anything about these characters from their signatures. Because they are consistent. And they are unique for each one. So, you know, I will follow up with you guys later about uh, that particular pseudoscience analysis. <laughs> uh, also, in terms of horrific things that are setting up ominous things in this book, beyond just simply the cover of the book, we also have Percy being announced as head boy. Because <laughs> that cannot work out well. I mean, and... clearly he's going to be the big bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's just apparent. We've known that all along. I mean, just even his smug shot in the picture where he's holding up the friggin' badge. On his vacation with his family. You are going to be insufferable. I know this now. Uh, 
As for the letters and gifts themselves, the letters are very heartwarming, very nice, very fun to see. All four of them that we actually get here. Uh, the gifts are also great, because I think they're very much representative of each of these characters and what their role is in the story. At least we have the three gifts that we get. Uh, when Ron delivers the pocket... Correct me if I got this wrong, sir. It's a pocket sneakoscope? Yes. Uh, it is described even by him as being fun, loud, distracting, assumed with some justification to be rubbish, but... There is a hint that it's still going to be significant to the plot in some way, in the sense that it is apparently glowing around the Weasley family. See where that goes. This seems to very much embody Ron. Loud, fun, distracting, probably rubbish, but still is going to play a key role in the plot. <laughs> Hermione's gift, gift. She gets him a broom, a broomstick servicing kit, uh, which is, you know, it's not particularly gaudy or flashy or even, you know, fitting of much of what embodies the wizarding world and what they seem to value. But it's eminently valuable, practical, well-meaning, and incredibly well thought out in terms of the nature of the gift. Because it's exactly what Harry wanted, and he responds immediately to it. And this seems to embody Hermione in a lot of ways. And also on point, Hagrid, who sends, see if I get this right, the Monster Book of Monsters. Mm-hmm. Which is simultaneously well-intended, sweet in its own way, probably going to impose a mortal peril to our protagonist and will inevitably prove useful in some way, which is Hagrid embodied. So, that was fun to see. But, on the whole, this was just a very heartwarming chapter in a way we haven't gotten to see. We had a nice heartwarming chapter in the end of the last book, and it's nice to see that not break in the same way we did in between book one and book two. You've already hinted at me that all of my hopes and dreams are going to be dashed come the next chapter, and this isn't just going to be a, a nice little happy tale about how they go to classes and nothing horrible happens. But, you know, I figured that was a bit of a pipe dream to begin with. After this, up my newbies notes, and I do have a couple questions, but before we get there, somebody, somehow, needs to win this chapter. Well, it's, again, weird, because we are not at Hogwarts, we are in the Dursley household, where rules don't apply, um, but, and we also only encounter one person in this chapter. Uh, so I dub Harry the winner. Fair. Errol um, the loser. Yeah, I was debating on whether we had actually made a rule about non-human animals winning or losing, but Errol is the clear loser of this chapter. Yeah, that's beyond dispute. Other than the fact that apparently he has good friends. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Ron is a little bit of a through. loser. Oh, yeah, Ron being a loser is just kind of baseline. So <laughs> <to> get back <laughs> much. He did at least get a new wand. Yeah. That's true. And he apparently did think this out well enough that he told Hermione not to call, which... You know, she does credit him with telling her that. So kudos to him. He at least learns from a lesson, even if it was a lesson that he did not need to go through. No, and Hermione is a muggle and knows how to use the telephone. <laughs> not screaming to the receiver or reference Hogwarts. Was not that much of a list, Ron. Yeah. Uh, so questions. Uh, okay. Uh, Hogsmeade. Yes. H- have we heard that before? Because it does not sound familiar. And what is it? Um. So I don't think... I think this is the first reference... We're getting to it. Um, I'm not... I'm trying to remember... It might have been m- mentioned very briefly in one of the previous two books, simply because it is the village that is closest to Hogwarts. It is actually where the Hogwarts Express, the station is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and that station is a little bit outside of town, so I can't remember if it's actually been mentioned or not. It is a small village that is, um, you know, a couple, maybe a couple of miles walk from Hogwarts itself, and it is um, an all-wizarding village. Nice. That's very, it, that's very in keeping for the medieval-style castle that the Hogwarts mm-hmm. is, is that 
they would of course have a supporting village that was outside of it. So I was, I was always kind of wondering about that, whether it was just a lone edifice. But yeah, this makes a certain degree more sense. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. And now what Hogsmeade is, is essentially like a town that has some sort of like regular residence in it. Uh, it caters to what students want and need, and it caters to what the uh, teachers want and need when they are not in the castle. <laughs> yeah, my, I was going to ask what the default drinking age in the wizarding setting is, because this place would totally have some bars. Uh, it has a couple. One of them allows students in it, and one of them does not. Okay, that raises fun legal questions. One of, one probably serves weaker drinks. There is a lot of pumpkin juice in one of them. Uh, some gilly water. Oh, it's a soda bar. Some other things. Um, and then one serves fire whiskey. <laughs> some other things? I don't remember off the top of my okay, head. Okay, sure. Okay. I'm the point of view did, did you just say that they serve fireball? Fire whiskey. Don't. Yes. Don't, don't Which introduce. is essentially the same thing. If, 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 I, if I find out that Fireball is something the Wizarding World inflicted on the Muggle World, I'm done. I'm, this series is unfinished with this. <laughs> it is dead to me. All right, PJ, you got one? Uh, yeah. Um, we'll go easier and, and less uh, lore first. Um, so, so my first question is, why is McGonagall the worst? <laughs> okay. Um. Why would well, you why say is she that? heartless? I guess is not not why is she the worst because Percy's the worst. But why is she heartless? <laughs> so she knows what Harry's situation is, and there aren't enough students for this to be a form letter. So yeah, uh, to, the them's the rules, BJ. That the headmaster just sort of decides on, and we know that the headmaster and at least uh, you know sub headmaster are can do with what they will uh with the rules so yeah so actually there is a reason that they need the dursley's permission for this okay um that i can't talk about right now do we have do we have any reason to believe that mcgonagall has ever we know that she was there when harry got dropped off but i don't think she's like ever followed up or anything on what his home life is like uh she was the cat in the bushes well yeah Back when he was back when he was dropped off, and she—I mean, she did t- tell Dumbledore like these Muggles are terrible. <laughs> okay, all right, then she has no excuse at all. I was trying to find a way to protect her here. Yeah, I no, thought when done. he was eleven, there was like the cat eyes in the bushes. That wasn't the drop off. Wasn't but maybe. That, that was Dobby's eyes in the bushes. Oh, okay, that, that was Dobby. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but th- so there is kind of a reason that we can talk about later. Eventually, yeah. yeah. She's also probably just annoyed that Dumbledore's not doing any of this himself, and so is just trying to get through this along with all of the other shit she has to do to run this damn place, because Dumbledore's not doing it. She probably has, uh, well, I guess there aren't necessarily students in detention there. At the end of last term, she had students in detention writing out these letters that she then signed. Uh, Spencer, do you have another, or shall I go again? I do. Uh, a lot of what I've been told about the Ministry of Magic is that it is designed to... Uh, isolate and protect the wizarding world from the muggle world under a certain degree of implication that the muggle world could pose a threat if it found out the wizards were there. This chapter kind of poo-poos a little bit of that, though, that the friggin' Inquisition was not much of a threat back in the day. Is how much do they actually believe the muggle world is a threat, or is it just more kind of policy and procedure? Um, I think they, they might think that it's a little bit of a threat, although I would posit that um, it is perhaps more 
uh, Brexit related than we uh, would have liked to have. We thought. don't want to share. <laughs> it's a little bit of I like I do think it is a little bit of a an actual threat. Although I would imagine that it is mostly a sort of this is a threat to our way of life mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of kind of xenophobia going on. And that I would also. Like- mm-hmm. I would also guess that when it was, okay, we're going to burn the witches and wizards, everyone was kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, Given some of the other uh, practices to not as accepted groups of people in the past Mm -hmm. 50, 100 years in Europe, their attitudes might have (laughs) changed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Yeah. So I also wonder too if based on what we what we really do learn about the real pockets of bad feeling from wizards towards muggles if there is not an element of this that is like we need to keep these two populations as sort of isolated and separated as possible to mitigate the number of chances that wizards are like have ready opportunities to be in everyday contact with muggles mm-hmm. and opportunities um i to do sometimes it's just nonsense pranks or actual harm or things like that but like what we have seen is that for the most part wizards are in their own communities we've talked about it on this pod before and i think part of that is also to like protect muggles from wizards which mm-hmm. Like let's the the mis- Arthur Weasley's um, agency, the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office, is actually all about protecting Muggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Which, this is the British bureaucracy version of Magneto, basically. And, and it's interesting there too when you reference that office, because how much it's poo-pooed on by the purebloods. Um, every time we see them, they insult that office as not needing to exist, as being too obsessed with the Muggle world. And from what we see of how they treat people who have any degree of muggle blood in them or tied to the muggle world, it's not positive. Yeah. So one has to wonder that the kind of caste system mentality that the purebloods think of, whether the literal muggles even factor in at all. Like, you know, they're the outside barbarians that don't even get considered within the same realms of the untouchables. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I... I almost, I, I, like you just referenced, I almost wondered to what degree the ministry is in place, too, because these two worlds kind of need to remain separate, because, eh, if, if things came to blows, not necessarily sure who would fire the first shot. Yeah. Got another one, BJ? I do. So, it says that Voldemort uh, is the most feared wizard in the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, that indicates that a hundred years ago... There was some really bad shit going down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we... Um... Is that something that we find out about later? Or is this just like a, you know, he was the worst person in the past century and, you know, we're just not going to refer to stuff? Because, like, when it yeah. says that, it really doesn't say, like, he's the, you know, worst wizard of the 20th century or whatever. It's mm-hmm. really like... In the past hundred years, he was the worst, which is yeah. very indicative of there being some interesting people before him. <laughs> um, there, w- we learn about some really bad people um, from before from before him. Um, okay. I'm trying to, although some of them I think would still have been within the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But we, yeah, I don't. We learn about some really bad people. 
I don't remember if they're within the last hundred years or not. I think that we can always point to Salazar Slytherin as being terrible. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, because like he, he seemed creepy, but I don't so think far, that he's haven't. actually worse than Voldemort, though. Yeah, like we haven't gotten any like purges yeah. from. He he didn't tend to. That was his goal he, for he Hogwarts. About it. <laughs> I mean, he put yeah, a friggin' basilisk in a hidden well inside the school for the purpose of bringing about a purge. He just delayed when it would come about. Well, that but that's for the school. Like, yeah. the, uh, I was under the impression that there was a little bit more going on with Voldemort. But anyway, yeah. Um, we'll I, I, I don't know about that. Re readdress that later on. Yeah, uh, I'll think about that a little bit more, maybe. At, at this point, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't really know much of what Voldemort intended, other than that he was terrible. Uh, we will but, learn more about that. I mean, I know he was an imminent threat to the established order. I know he killed a lot of people, but other than just kind of like magnum, um, you know, goals of uh, goals of just taking over and ruling, and a magnum, uh, I can't pronounce that word right now, so I'm not going to keep trying. <laughs> uh, I don't really know what his long-term plan or goal was, and whether he was intending to be some kind of pure-blood purge. He seems to resent Muggles based on his own background, but that's about all I really know. He was an art student when he was young. Like, oh, he that just category. Had a troubled upbringing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and the, the first Wizarding World really affected his mind quite a bit. <laughs> uh, uh, that, yeah, I was going to say that's it for May. <laughs> yep. Okay. I mean, it is a first chapter. Like, <laughs> it is a first chapter. Um, great. So we are, next time, we are going to do chapter two, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. <laughs> that is, I did not look. That is the name of the next chapter? That is the big, the name of the next chapter. Okay. That's interesting. Aunt Marge? Do I know an Aunt Marge? You will, Spencer. Oh, God. All right. You will. <laughs> I suppose looking forward to it is the thing I say right now, so we'll see. Is she in charge? <sighs> Okay. <laughs> on that on that pun, guys, it's been fun. Looking forward yes. till next week. Yes.